The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Derek Thomas, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Galway Holdings. Derek, it's fantastic to have you join us on the show today. Really looking forward to hearing more about Galway and some of those great initiatives that you have going on there. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Derek. I know we've been in talks for a while now, so it's great to finally land this. Derek, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, it's towards the end of the day here in the UK, but in the morning over there in the US, what's your go-to coffee of choice today? So I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. So normally I would say Dunkin' Donuts, but today I have Cafe Bustelo, which is, uh, which is wonderful and strong and, uh, and helps me uh, jump right into the day. Awesome. Awesome. Great start to the day for sure. Derek, if we could start off, would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of an insight, sort of a picture of your career journey and what's really led you to your role now as the Chief Strategy Officer at Galway? Yeah, great. So Nick, thanks for the question. Uh, So I've had a much like a lot of insurance professionals, maybe other than in the UK, insurance was not what I dreamed about growing up. So uh, I actually started my career in the nonprofit sector. I went to Rutgers University for undergraduate and graduate school. I have a, a BA in political science and history, an MSW or Master's of Social Work and Administration Policy Development and Planning. So right after college, I actually had a career in the nonprofit sector. Um, so I worked for uh, different programs focused on underserved communities and underserved youth. Uh, both Rutgers University did a number of projects with Princeton University and the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. I really focused on uh, health-related issues impacting minority communities uh, you know, in the New Brunswick, New Jersey area. I also spent some time as a director of human services for public housing uh, in New Brunswick and then ran a, a large youth services program. So coming straight out of college, um, undergrad, I worked very closely in the community. That's what drove me to get my MSW. But after graduating from, uh, you know, graduate school, um, I had three small kids and uh, and kind of the pay in the nonprofit sector wasn't going to cut it. So I had spent some time in a corporate readiness program called Inroads early on in my career as well and made the decision to kind of switch from the nonprofit sector to the corporate sector and uh, interviewed with uh, the Chubb Group of Insurance Companies and actually started my career in insurance uh, with Chubb. Uh, in 1995, uh, after finishing grad school, and actually started in human resources in the learning and development area. So I joined Chubb and ran the Chubb Business School, uh, which we had people fly from all over the world in a, a five-day program of which it, it ended in a simulation on should we consider going into country A, B, C, or D, looking at all the kind of geopolitical and underwriting factors. I also ran the leadership development program for Chubb. Uh, and then started a strategy group within the organization and helped to facilitate strategy meetings, built the business planning process for Chubb, 
uh, then switched from kind of being in the HR side over to underwriting, went through the Chubb School of Insurance, spent time as an underwriter in Jersey, and then moved to Atlanta in 1998 as the Southeast Regional Marketing Manager or the, or the number two in the Southeast region for Chubb. So that was kind of the beginning of my career in foray into the insurance industry. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Derek. So very much starting out straight out of college there on the nonprofit side of things, taking that first move into insurance within HR and leading out teams, developing teams, developing best practice, learning and development. What was it then that took you into the underwriting side, more of the business side of the organization? Yeah, great question. You know, this is there's no straight path, you know. So for me, you know, I had I was fortunate enough to have a lot of great mentors at senior levels uh, at Chubb. And the message was really clear. You know, you've done a great job in the learning and development area, um, you know, between the programs that you're running and the work that you're doing around strategy. But if you really want to be in this business, it's important to really understand the business. So directed uh, mentors uh, to go down the road of underwriting. And, I, and, and it was a great decision for me to really learn the business beyond general business, but the specifics of, of underwriting and profitability. But one of the things that was really powerful is that I realized I did not want to be an underwriter. So uh, <laughs> I moved to Atlanta, helped to grow our business in the Southeast region, work closely in our Southern Zone operations, and decided, you know, that one, I was an entrepreneur at heart. So I did take a break from the, my insurance career for a period of time in the early 2000s, went into tech and e-commerce here in Atlanta, and then ended up coming back into the business on the brokerage side. And I always yeah. felt when I was on the underwriting side that I was really best suited for the brokerage side and not really being part of a huge company. But I learned that through my experience uh, at Aon, which is a you know great organization, had a lot of great mentors there and an opportunity to, to lead strategy and business development for a large group at Aon. And that really proved that the brokerage side was a space for me. Uh, so that was kind of early on in your career, just trying to figure out for me, what the best fit was in the industry, in the brokerage side, being very entrepreneurial, building, scaling, turning around in some cases, uh, you know, businesses, that's really where my greatest interest was in the industry. Yep. And I'm sure that that experience that you had on the underwriting side has both been beneficial as you've moved across into the brokerage, but also in your leadership position that you have today. In terms of your current role, Chief Strategy Officer, you know, across the group, Galway Holdings Group, what does that entail? What's your responsibility there? Give us a snapshot of that position. Well, I'm just going to add one step that I think is really critical. You know, once a decision was made, made to come over to uh, the brokerage side, you know, I really wanted to find an organization that was in growth mode, you know, Aon's very large organization, yeah. uh, but coming to Epic, which is our retail insurance brokerage business, I started yeah. as the chief strategy officer there. So I spent the better part of the last 10 years at Epic as we were growing that core retail business. And I'll be very specific. I wore a number of hats with Epic. So uh, in addition to, you know, leading organizational development, I participated in M&A, I had P&L management, I was our specialty practice leader, and I was the driver of all of our key, you know, strategic initiatives, reporting up to our chairman, John Hahn. Epic is uh, going on 16 years old, uh, but I joined five years in. We were a $50 million revenue business, California only. John had a vision for really taking the business to the next level. I joined as a chief strategy officer in 2012, and over the course of the next 10 years, we grew the business from 50 million to now our Galway structure, which I'll explain in a minute, 
which is, you know, run rating towards, you know, north of $1.4 billion. Our epic business has gone from 50 million to a run rate revenue of 900 million uh, in the last 10 years. And in summary, to answer your question, my job was to do whatever needed to be done to drive profitable growth. So I got tapped for major growth initiatives, whether they were organic or inorganic. A lot of times I came in to start and scale businesses. And then my job was to bring in operational leaders that would take that from strategy to operational execution and maintenance. And so I've worn a number of hats within the organization. You know, whether, like I said, it's it's running, you know, business units, running, you know, geographic business units, the specialty business. Um, so that it was really a mix of a number of things, which for me was great because no day was the same, no hour was the same. And I really had an opportunity to interact with people at all levels uh, within all functions and geographic regions within the country. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been an incredible success story. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Epic and that growth journey you've been on there. Would you mind giving listeners a bit more of information about Galway Holdings and about the current position the business is in and maybe some of your plans ahead for growth of the company? That's great. And because we have grown so fast, you know, I'll try to just kind of explain the yeah. details. So Epic was our core retail insurance and brokerage mm -hmm. business and remains that. We uh, have been, you know, backed by some great private equity companies through our tenure. Stone Point, the original partner, Carlisle followed by Oak Hill, and now we have Harvest Partners, Carlisle and Oak Hill as our private equity partners. And clearly their goal has been to deploy capital to great investments of which I think that the Epic business was a great investment. Through our growth, we then added a number of businesses through acquisitions, but I'll speak to you know some of the larger ones. We acquired uh, GenCap, which is you know, a, a, you know, a large wholesaler. Um, we acquired Paragon, MGAMGU. So, and then we, our latest acquisition was MAI, which brought us into the wealth management space. So right now we're really a diversified intermediary. Galway Holdings is the parent company. Epic is our retail business, which is operating at about a $900 million run rate. GenCap, our wholesale business is about $2 billion in total written premium. And then uh, Paragon, $100 million run rate pro forma revenue. Uh, and MAI, which is our wealth management business, has about $15 billion of assets under management, rolling up to the Galway portfolio of, of a run rate north of $1.4 billion. So we've got great leaders in all those businesses. Our goal is to really double the size of our firm over the course of the next five to seven years. The market conditions are, are pretty challenging in some ways right now in terms of the debt market, but but we are focused and laser focused on organic growth, and most importantly, profitable organic growth. Yeah. So that yeah. remains our focus as well as as is really good opportunistic uh, acquisitions at this point in our strategy. Really such an inspiring story, such a great success story. Some of the listeners will be very familiar with Epic, but in terms of what you're building there now as a group, I think will be very inspiring to a lot of people out there. Derek, if I could just ask you, what would you say has been the key to that success? Has there been an initiative or something in particular that you feel has really been that key driver of the growth of those businesses, something that you'd like to discuss through today? Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep it really simple. It has been our values and our culture. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, one of the mm -hmm. things that we hear consistently from mm -hmm. our private equity partners is, you know, culture is 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 mission critical in this space. I mean, we are a people business. Mm -hmm. uh, we're professional services. Our job is to, you know, find clients, 
uh, bring clients into the organization, wrap around, you know, great services and solutions for our clients. And in order to do that, you have to have great people. And I think what we've been able to do, you know, over the last going on 16 years, you know, obviously prior to me joining the firm is attract great people to the organization uh, that wake up every day with the focus on their clients first. And our messaging really is people first. If we hire great people, they're going to take care of our clients. Uh, They're going to help attract clients. And then our job is to retain fantastic talent, make sure that we provide training and development and mentoring and coaching, career pathing. It's hard to do that when you're growing at the rate that we've gone through, continue to go through kind of exponential growth. So I think in summary, we have to have a great culture that attracts fantastic people. We have to train and develop our leaders uh, because as we've gotten larger and gone away from kind of the core original leadership team, we have to make sure that those values and that that culture permeates through the organization for current employees uh, as well as, you know, future employees. And and that has really led to our ability to grow and you cannot grow without having fantastic clients. So people first is our is our focus and our message. And and that's really been, you know, a, a key element of our secret sauce. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Derek. And if I may ask, you know, attracting people to the organization, retaining people is so key, but what has been the method? What has been the initiatives? What has been the key value in order to attract those people to the company in the first place? I know you look at very wide talent pool of talent and people. How do you make yourself attractive to people from all sorts of different backgrounds and different industries to put a proposition together for them to come and say, hey, yeah, I want to be involved in that ride. Right. Well, there's two roads to that. Because we've grown through, you know, organically and inorganically mm-hmm. through MA, why don't I start with the MA side? Because that's yeah. been a big chunk of our growth. You know, one is, you know, because the market was so hot for, for MA for so long, you know, everybody has choices. So one, we had to have the firm, we had to have the space to bring those folks into the organization where they could continue doing what they did every day as well as, you know, integrate into our organization. So I think our approach of attracting, integrating, and retaining talent on the M&A side, you don't want to buy a firm and then the people leave because they don't like the firm uh, that the organization was sold to. And so we've had a great track record of the success of our acquisitions, not only being accreted, but bringing in new additional talent and giving them an opportunity in a career path. So the majority of our new employees, as we've gone from 300 plus employees when I joined 10 years ago to 4,000 employees, the majority of those employees came through um, acquisitions. You know, we have great, great HR teams in all of our rating companies. So they designed different strategies based upon the needs of the business units to attract service staff, you know, production staff, finance, accounting, HR, operations, technology. So many people from the outside in think our business is about, you know, on the brokerage side, it's about producers and service people. Well, all of the components of the organization are what make the organization successful. And I think we've been able to attract talent through multiple functions, as well as great production and service talent. We have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we want an inclusive environment where people feel like they are valued, that they are challenged, that they are rewarded based upon performance. Um, we do have a performance-based, performance-driven organization. 
Uh, we want our people to feel comfortable bringing in others. And then we also use, you know, executive recruiters for senior level talent. Uh, so there's a whole list of ways of which we attract talent, of which our HR people can speak to in much more depth than I can. Um, and the last point on that is everybody's an ambassador. You know, yeah. we should be selling every day. We should be recruiting to our organization every day with the goal of making it better. And the better the culture that you have, the more people are willing to recruit on your behalf. And that's been a big part of our success. Yeah, thank you for that, Derek. And you, you mentioned diversity, equity and inclusion. there. traditionally been a very difficult area for a lot of insurance companies. You know, they found it very easy to hire, you know, people from from within family to to hire friends of businesses as businesses have gone on and they're looking for a succession and retirement planning. It's often often gone about that way. How have you found, what initiatives have you had there to really make diversity and equity and inclusion a real key focus for the business? How has that gone? So there's a couple of things. So one, we have a, in our largest business epic, we have a chief diversity officer. I apologize for the background noise there. We have a chief diversity officer. His name is Kevin Brady, who is in our Epic business. And Epic works closely with the HR leaders to design uh, programs, create awareness, education. Uh, we partner with an organization called Youth About Business that really is in the is focused on corporate readiness. So we have internship programs. We have a mentoring program. Uh, so there's a number of things that we're doing between our the efforts of our HR team and our chief diversity officer. Uh, and this also comes down to our marketing and branding, you know, messaging and positioning, whether it's on LinkedIn or, you know, word of mouth or, or things that we participate and sponsor, different, yeah. uh, you know, uh, diversity related associations that we try to get involved in. So one, we want to put our money where our mouth is and basically state that our organization and our operating companies we are seeking and looking for diverse talent. Two, we have to make sure that our leadership is ready to embrace and, and invest in diverse talent. Uh, and three, you know, just culturally, once people join the firm, you know, we have to really back up everything that we say on the recruiting side. We have a number of efforts around education that are provided to the members of our companies, uh, the mm -hmm. associates within our companies. So those are the things that we're constantly trying to do is just be out front, be active, you know, focus on, you know, whether it's what we're doing for veterans, women, LGBTQ community, African-American, Latino organizations, Asian-American, Pacific Islander, resource groups within the company where people feel that they are heard. And a lot of times what happens uh, is that if people feel they don't have a voice and can't express things that will help make this a better culture, I think organizations can really miss on delivery. Absolutely. And is that something that you look for in part of the acquisition targets that you look at? Is that one of the criteria you're looking for to integrate diverse businesses into your organization, as well as attracting and recruiting people in a more organic way? Yeah. So look, I think one of the challenges that we've kind of run across over the years is you know, when you really look at the majority of agency owners in the United States, the majority of those agency owners are uh, primarily white males. Uh, so over the years, as we've acquired talent, a lot of the leadership that we brought into the organization is really based upon the mix, if you will, of the current state of the insurance industry. Uh, and so that has really been a challenge in terms of just specifically identifying firms that are either female run or run by people of color. 
they would absolutely be on our list of acquisition targets. Uh, but our numbers are not where I say they, they, they should be. But I think it is also a reflection of the environment. On the recruiting side, you know, I would say that, you know, we've made great strides. Uh, you know, the best people to speak to the numbers would be our HR team and our chief diversity officer. But we literally have had specific goals and targets in terms of interviewing candidates, making sure we have a balance of candidates that we're interviewing that are women and people of color and represent diverse communities. So that has been critical, as well as, you know, specific hiring and retention goals uh, around folks at multiple levels within the organization. So in summary, it takes being very proactive and, re- and building it into the fabric of how we run our business. Yeah. You know, hopefully time comes where, you know, we're not having to kind of track all these pieces. We're not there yet. People always say, you know, if you can't measure it, it doesn't mean anything. So I think it is important for us to measure and have target goals with the the, the goal of diversifying our organization over time. Uh, one of the specific initiatives that is not necessarily focused on senior level folks and mid-level people around internships, we just need to hire those people. But for kind of a pipeline of diverse talent into the industry, we're going to be embarking on a number of initiatives to try to, you know, identify, you know, college students, help bring into the industry. But we have to start with education. Most young people do not know about this industry and all of the opportunities that are available in this industry. So we're starting with educating young people, hoping to create great internship opportunities, ultimately place them uh, within the organization and create a career path for them. But in the interim, we want junior level, mid-level and senior level people uh, to join our firm that represent the diverse community, including, you know, managing introverts and extroverts. And I mean, you can look at diversity in a lot of different ways. I'm not getting away from the core elements, but we have to be open minded to, you know, filling spots with people that may just be different than the leader. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Really, I know it's something that you're extremely purposeful about as an organization, and it's it's been a huge benefit to the business. I'm sure as you look to continue to grow and you talk about some of those expansion targets over the next few years, you know, that's going to be really key in order to deliver that growth. Derek brings us nicely onto the espresso round now where the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. So I know you've got a very large cup of coffee there in front of you there today. You ready for the espresso round? I believe I am. The espresso round. Derek, what one piece of advice do you have for senior executives who come in to interview for you? One, be prepared. Um, operate with passion, desire, and will. Establish your professional messaging and differentiation. You know, what is it that differentiates you from others? Mm-hmm. Know your strengths and eliminate your gaps through education, mm-hmm. training, and ultimately experience. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always, you know, I look for is leaders that are not afraid of extending gratitude and lead with grace consistently, right? There's a lot of people that feel that you've got to pound the table and be a jerk. And, you know, I, that's just not my philosophy. So, you know, in summary, my, my advice to people is treat people like it kind of the golden rule, treat people like you want to be treated. If you wanted opportunities when you were young, provide opportunities to people. If you were a benefit of mentoring, 
mentor people. That really would be some of the advice that I would give to young leaders. Pay it forward for sure. And I think it's great advice as well around differentiation. You know, often we see on some of the search assignments that we partner with our clients on, you have some extremely talented people who are interviewing in that process, but their backgrounds from the very nature might, they might be from similar companies in similar roles at those companies, probably with experience, similar challenges. So a key part is to really differentiate itself, identify those strengths, acknowledge those weaknesses, like you say, but really identify that key thing, which can really give benefit to that organization to drive that company on and what their particular challenges. I think that is so key and certainly helps to be successful at interview. And Derek, what's one of the worst things or one of the funniest answers or something that stands out in your mind that you've ever witnessed in an interview? That's a great question. I have actually had a person say to me in the beginning of an interview, um, before we get started, I need to know how much vacation time comes with this position. I just, nothing wrong with vacation. I believe in work-life balance. I just don't think that that is, should be at the top of your list of an interview question. Maybe as you yeah. advance through the process. So about be prepared. It's know your audience. You know, I think a lot of times people come in with this boilerplate approach to interviewing. You should do your research, know who you're interviewing with, have an understanding of their background, their experience, look at the type of roles they've been in. You, you can learn a lot from, you know, LinkedIn is a powerful tool. Just being able to do a quick click on so that you're not walking in blind to a situation. It amazes me how many people just don't take five minutes to to understand who they're going to sit down with. Uh, so yeah. those types of things surprise me in interviews. But it's been a while since that happened. There's, there's so much information out there that people should be, as you say, absolutely prepared, not only on the company that they're interviewing for, but also the people interviewing, working out what their drivers are and what they're looking for. Spinning things around slightly, what recommendation, what sort of one piece of advice would you have for uh, HR executives or you know, sort of C-suite leaders like yourself, best practice for hiring that exceptional talent? I think it really starts with sourcing. I think we we have to identify great sources of talent. Sometimes they're our own people. And the other thing is, you know, don't think in a box. Ask people questions more than what they just did at work. Try to get a feel for who they are. Who is this person? What is their driver? What is their motivator? Is it their family? Is it, are they overcoming challenges? Are they getting back on their feet? Are they a new mom coming back, a new mom, you know, coming back into the workforce? I think we also... On the, on the recruiting and interviewing side, we have to be open-minded and ask questions that are not just boilerplate questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say, if you're going to be on my team, I use a word called love. I love the people on my team. I have their back and they have my back. I'm going to spend time with them more so than I would a lot of people in my life. So hire people that you enjoy, that you can learn from, not just people that are going to do what you say. To be challenged as a leader um, that is also part of growth as a leader to listen and hear, receive feedback, make adjustments. Don't just operate with a formula. Let the formula evolve because of the talent that you bring in. Uh, but the real key there is think out of the box as you interview people. Don't just have a, if they don't meet these five things, they're out. Expand your perspective and that will expand your talent pool. Absolutely. And really having the bigger the talent pool that you have at your disposable, the greater the talent of people who are interested in working at your organization, whatever role it is, means that you can identify and you can narrow down and you can choose to work with the very best of that talent. It's always a struggle for companies to hire great talent is a very small talent pool. And that's often when those hiring decisions may turn out to not be best of the business 
business when they're under pressure to bring someone in because they don't have access to that talent pool. So as wide a talent pool as possible, I certainly think a diversity of talent pool certainly helps that. And like you say, being open-minded in those interviews, you know, asking those questions, really getting to know those candidates because you're going to spend a lot of time with them and you've got to trust them and you've got to enjoy working them. That's that's fantastic. Well, you have to be you have to be discerning. If I could just use one quick analogy, and we'll yeah. just use sports. Yeah. You can scout the best athlete, and there's a good chance that they're going to do great, right? Mm. That you maybe you're reducing the risk, but there's not a single team that has won that that has won any championship without great role players. That name, the you know, the term role player, I think, is underrated. You need to be able to fill out every position, whether it's on the pitch a football field, a baseball diamond, a basketball court, whatever the situation may be. They have one or two, you know, rock stars, but you have to surround them with people that are really good at good at blocking and tackling, just yeah. just doing their job. And that's how teams win. Uh, yeah. So you can always search for that person that is always, you know, out there and go getter and extroverted. But I think teams need a balance to make them work. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And it's so important to get those people in the right positions. We were talking about NFL earlier and, uh, you know, you can hire someone or hopefully in your lifetime, if you get ever get the opportunity to hire someone like Tom Brady. But obviously, it's the position that he's playing is the key thing. And actually, sometimes we do see these superstars in front of them and we, we're very attracted to them and think they'll be great for the business. But actually, for that particular opportunity or, or for that, business needs at that current time it's not the right fit so well Derek I think uh, brings us nicely to the end of our conversation today I think it's been really great to learn about the journey that Epic and Galway Holdings has been on and the opportunities there do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and why people would be interested in coming and working at Galway in any of the companies there the, the culture that you're building there what are some of those great opportunities for someone with a strong insurance career yeah, no, I appreciate that. And and you said it earlier, Nick, you know, the, the piece of advice I would provide to leaders is pay it forward. You know, so often you hear these stories of, well, I did it this way and they've got to do it this way. And it's a new day. It's a new time. We're dealing with people that have had different experiences, you know, managing to yesterday. Yesterday is over. Uh, so I think one, we've got to figure out how to lead um, you know, in a new way to be able to lead different people, right? Uh, so I think, so that's number one. Two, pay it forward, mentoring and coaching. I was so blessed to have great mentors in my career um, that helped me see things I didn't see. And so I think the selection of mentors and also as a leader providing coaching is is mission critical. When I think about the things that are really important for me and, and what I get to do every day, is I, I focus on profitable growth in terms of enterprise value. So leading growth and even enhancement strategies uh, to drive, drive enterprise value. Innovation, um, you know, if I was a young person today, I would really be thinking about, you know, things like digital and data. Uh, how do you create value for customers? Make it easier for, you know, employees to do business. Um, we have a multifaceted ecosystem, so we use digital and data to bring the organization together. And so what happens is we need different types of talent. So my job is to kind of think ahead, think about where we're going, and make sure we have the talent, um, you know, within the organizational strategies and working with our HR team and our business leaders that we're thinking about the right investments. And if I was um, really talking about the Galway organization, whether it's Epic or GenCap or Paragon or MAI, 
we are building out a, a, a culture that really focuses on profit with purpose. Yeah. Our culture is mission critical in which we get a chance to advance our values um, and our culture internally. From a community standpoint, we're integrated with our with the community and we're trying to connect in whether it's through internships and sponsorships and fundraising, of which we can really operate as part of the community. And then we're also focused on climate. You know, what are the type of investments and strategies and actions that can proactively address climate-related challenges? So, you know, as an organization, clearly it's about driving the numbers. Um, if we drive the numbers, and we should have the dollars to be able to make sure that we continue to operate with purpose. Absolutely. No, it's uh, been a fantastic success story. And I know that you're very purposeful around the culture, around climate and community. And I think that is, you know, extremely progressive as an organization and something that, that will certainly attract a lot of insurance business leaders to the organization moving forward. Derek, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show in the Insurance Coffee House. I'm sure we'll come back. We'll, we'll speak to you again in the future if you'll have us and it'd be great to see how the business is developing. Nick, thank you. Thank your team. also want to thank my team for all their support and all their hard work every day. This has been a great conversation. I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.